0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 17 on the covenant of circumcision that God gave to Abraham and the first example of circumcision with Moses' son. Now, this message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, You can also sign up at friendshipwithgod.org to donate to this radio program or to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse, And that's also available by searching for Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries or the Friendship with God Radio Program through Facebook. So you can find that daily devotional verse posted on Facebook if you search for Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God Radio Program. Now, to encourage you to support the Friendship with God Radio Program, we're offering as a resource this month The Life of Joseph, a 70-page book by Tom Cantor on understanding the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the history and the future of the Jewish people, through the life of Joseph. It's an incredible book written that shows the parallel of the life of Joseph and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the life of the Jewish people, past, present, and future. It's an amazing book. It's one of Tom Cantor's most popular books. We're offering that for a donation of $20 or more for your support to the Friendship with God radio program. So call us now or after the program at 800 247 3051. And for a donation of $20 or more, you can have this resource book, The Life of Joseph, by Tom Cantor. 1-800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. You can also go online to our resources. We have Tom Cantor's materials available online at friendshipwithgod.org. You can order The Life of Joseph for a donation of $20 or more. So again, friendshipwithgod.org or 800-247-3051. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis 17 on the covenant of circumcision that God gave to Abraham and the first example of circumcision with Moses' son.
1: Now, next thing we see in verse 12 is we see for the first time God has introduced circumcision. And let's just put ourselves for a minute in Abraham's shoes and just kind of like you're Abraham, we're Abraham, and we're hearing God for the very first time. And the very first words we hear from God as he says, He that is eight days old. Isn't that sweet? I mean, God says, he that's eight days old. And we stop and we think, what is God saying? He's saying, he that's eight days old. We think of a baby that's only eight days old. And we think, how beautiful, right, is a baby that's eight days old, especially if he sleeps through the night. And we can't think of anything more beautiful, more natural than a baby that's eight days old. I mean, how much influence has the world had on an eight-day-old baby to make it corrupt? He's only eight days old. I mean, how much influence has the world had on an eight-day-old baby to make that baby dishonest and deceptive and a liar? He's only eight days old. How much influence has the world had on that baby to make that baby cruel and murderous. It's only eight days old. And an eight-day-old baby, it's a newborn, has been protected from the world and it hasn't been influenced by all the evil of the world. Eight-day-old baby is so, is so pure. It's so innocent, right? <laughs> surely, surely, there's nothing wrong with an eight-day-old baby, <laughs> and so we're in Abraham and we're in verse 12 and we hear God say he that is eight days old and when God said he that is eight days old we see the eight-day-old baby and we feel like Bill Gothard and we say how sweet to hold <laughs> a newborn baby something like that anyway so God has just said he that is eight days old and we feel all the sweetness of holding the baby the purity the innocence and everything so when we hear you know he's eight days old we're all smiles we thought oh that's really cute then the hammer drops, <laughs> and he says, shall be circumcised. Oh, man, <laughs> shall be circumcised It's shocking. It is shocking, folks. I don't know if you've ever seen a circumcision. My father is an obstetrician, and his father was a moil, and so he kind of did it also in the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. I remember to this day, the bris, you know, it's a, it's a, people bring food, it's wonderful. You know, the baby is there all dressed in white. I have my circumcision suit. I'm not going to show you. But anyway, a traditional white circumcision suit. And I thought, oh, this is so, looks so nice. What's so bad about this? And I'm telling you, I almost passed out. It was such a shock. I mean, the blood squirting and the baby screaming and the white and the blood red on the stove. You know, it was like, this is horrible. <laughs> i was not a fan of circumcision after that but that's what god said in genesis seventeen twelve. he said he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you and not everybody agrees with the matter of circumcision because what could be sweeter as we said than an eight-year-old baby right and moses had a wife a midianite wife named zipporah and she held that little son of moses their little baby when it was eight days old and she said to moses with a smile on her face You put a knife to our eight-year-old baby, and I will circumcise you, Moses. (laughs) So if you circumcise our son, it'll be over my dead body. And she said, I will not allow you to put a knife to our son. And that was a hot argument in their house. There was a great, great argument between Moses and his wife. And Moses, what did Moses do? Moses said, I'm not going to die on that hill. (laughs) Well, you didn't know about Vietnam at that time, but anyway. So he said, for the sake of peace, I'll give in to my wife, and I won't circumcise my son. And Moses gave in to his wife, Zipporah, over this matter, and Moses did not circumcise his son. And that made Zipporah happy, but it made God angry. Remember one of the rules of life, don't make God angry? So this was a big problem. And it made God very angry, very, very mad, and to the point where God was at the point of going to kill Moses because he refused to circumcise the son and God made Moses so sick that he was going to die and Moses was so sick he was so sick he couldn't even circumcise the son if he wanted to he was so sick and so Zipporah knew that God had made Moses so sick to the point of death because their son was not circumcised and Zipporah knew that Moses was too sick to circumcise their son so Zipporah knew that if their son was not going to be circumcised, if he wasn't circumcised, that Moses was going to die. So in a fit of anger, Zipporah grabs a knife, cuts off the foreskin of her son, and she's in such a fit of rage that she throws the bloody foreskin at Moses, who is sick on the verge of death. And as she throws the bloody foreskin to Moses, she yells out, A bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. Now, that was the happy home of Moses and Zipporah, (laughs) okay? And I didn't make that up, you know, because it's all recorded in three verses in Exodus 4. You can check it for yourself in Exodus 4, 24 through 26, where it says, And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone, uh, can't even think of these things, and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me? And so he let him go, and then she said, A bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. So this matter of circumcision destroyed the peace between Moses and his wife. Now, by the way, when we look closely at some of the home lives of some of the great saints in the Bible, we find that there wasn't always peace between the husband and the wife. You know, one time, as a joke, one time there was a Jewish man, and he's walking in the Negev desert, and he comes across this lamp with the genie in it, you know. And, the genie, and so the genie comes out and says, okay, I'll give you one wish. You know the classic. I'll give you the one wish. And the Jewish man takes out of his pocket a map of the Middle East. And he says to the genie, this little sliver of land over here, that's the land of Israel. And all these countries around that, they're the enemies of Israel. Look, there's Syria. There's Iran. There's Saudi Arabia. There's Egypt. They all hate Israel. So my one wish for you, genie, is that you make peace in the Middle East. And the genie says, that's really hard. He says, you know, the genie says, that's very, very hard. He says, don't you have another wish? You know, another wish I can do for you? And so, you know, a Jewish man was very sad. He puts the map back in his pocket. Says the genie, well, my other wish is that you could make peace between me and my wife. He said, just make peace in my home between me and my wife. And so the genie he stops for a while and he says, you see that map again? <laughs> All right. All right, Moses... Okay, now back to the serious matter. Moses' wife did not agree that a baby should be circumcised. And the world finds the circumcision wrong. April 2012, a German court in Cologne indicted Rabbi David Goldberg for the crime of circumcising a baby, and he faces a prison sentence. The CDC reports that 20 years ago, about three-quarters of the male babies in the U.S. were circumcised, and today only half are, despite the fact that circumcision has been shown to reduce diseases. So why is there such a protest over the circumcision? Because we're talking about an eight-day-old baby, an eight-day-old baby boy. And a man looks at the eight-day-old baby boy, and a man does, and says, you know, perfect. He's perfect. He's a perfect baby when he's born in his most pure, innocent, natural state. And God looks at the same eight-day-old baby and says, not perfect. He's not perfect in his natural state. Something in his flesh is not perfect. Something must be cut away. And man looks at himself and he says, perfect, perfect me, perfect. I'm perfectly born. If there's anything wrong in me, it's because of, you know it's the officer Crumkey's song you know because everybody did something bad to me i'm not a sinner sinner no what do you talk about sinner don't talk like that i'm not a sinner and god looks at a man and says no you're wrong not perfect you are not perfect in your natural state john 3 5 through 6 jesus answered verily i say unto you except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god that which is born of the flesh is flesh What's born of the flesh is flesh. It's born of the spirit of spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Psalm seventy-eight thirty-nine. They were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. So God looks at man in his most natural state, the eight-day-old baby, and he says, not perfect. God looks at man in his most natural state, and he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what God is requiring Abraham to do by circumcising the flesh is to agree with God that there's something wrong with man by the way he's born. There's something wrong with him when he's born. And the outward circumcision is only a token. It's only a sign or it's a symbol, as we said last week, of an inward issue. So when Abraham agreed to the circumcision, Abraham was agreeing with God over an inward issue. There was something wrong with man the way he was born. And that something that's wrong is called sin. The man is born in sin, as David said in Psalm 51:5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And no one is going to come to God for salvation unless he believes that there is something wrong with him, deeply wrong. The sinner in his core, he was, the way he was born. And the circumcision is a sign where the parents agree with God and they say, yes, there's something wrong with us from birth. Circumcision is a sign where the parents say that they agree with God and when God says in Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passes upon all men for that all have sinned. You can't get a more clear sign that you agree with by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all of sin, than to cut away the part of the flesh of an 80-year-old baby boy. Circumcision is an acknowledgment that there's something wrong with the way man is born. And that's not God's fault, as many people say. That's God's fault. It's not. The Bible doesn't say, as by God sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. The Bible says, as by one man, one man, sin entered into the world. So the problem with the way man is born is man's fault. It's 100% man's fault. It's not God's fault. And circumcision is an outward testimony of the human corruption that leads to death. And baptism is very much the same thing. Going down into the water is an outward testimony of the human corruption that leads to death. And circumcision is an outward testimony that something must be done by man. And baptism is an outward testimony in coming out of the water that something must be done by man. And both circumcision and baptism carry the message that to do nothing is the worst thing you can do. It's wrong. And for a person to just do nothing about his sinfulness and just kind of coast through life, getting over one obstacle after another the best he can... Something must be done. And that something is stated in John 1.12. As many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That something that has to be done is to come, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, become a child of God by trusting in him. But there's a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid for circumcision. There's a price to be paid for baptism by identifying with the people of God. And then in verse 13... There's an interesting statement that God makes when he talks about, he that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. So what God is saying here, showing to Abraham, is that Abraham, when you have these people brought into your house, they're not just there to be your servants and to do for you. They are your responsibility. You have the responsibility to bring them the knowledge of God. And so you don't just be circumcised for your immediate family and teach about what all that meant. No, you do that for people who have been bought with thy money. They happen to be in your house. And so he tells them that. And then in verse 14, he says, he brings up this concept new here. In verse 14, he's raised this issue, and it's the issue of being cut off, of being severed. In verse 14, and the uncircumcised man, child whose flesh or whose foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So what God is saying here is that there can be no person in Abraham's house that might be a natural son of Abraham or as one born in his house. There's nobody who could not be cut off. This is concept, the possibility of being cut off. And just to be born in Abraham's house was not enough to go to heaven. And just to be born Jewish is not enough to go to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ said to a Jewish person, not just a Jewish person, the ruler of the Jewish people, a ruler of the Jewish people, that it was not enough for him to, or anyone to be born Jewish. That's what we just read in John 3, 3, when Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the first five, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit He cannot enter. He can't see it. He can't enter into the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ said that to a ruler of the Jewish people, that you must be born again. His Jewish birth did not exempt him from the requirement of you must be born again. uh, The Jewish birth was only in the flesh. And what is born of the flesh is flesh. and It dies. And he had to go on to be born again of the Spirit in order to go to heaven. And a person may be born into a Christian family, a Christian home. And he may start off in the right direction, but then be cut off. As the New Testament has other phrases uh, instead of being cut off, one of the phrases the New Testament uses is, fall away, fall away. And that's the phrase that's used in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, cut off, fall away, to renew them again and to repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open chain. But God doesn't want us to worry, to, oh my, i we going to fall away? and What's going to happen? He doesn't want us to you know, worry about being cut off from eternal life. So he uses another phrase, and that's also a phrase, drawing back. Fall away? Drawing back. In Hebrews 1038 38 39, where it says, the just shall live by faith, If any man draw back... That's cut off. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, we find in verse 18 a very heart-wrenching prayer of Abraham. Abraham says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Now, this prayer has a couple of sides to it. First of all, we've seen in verse 17 how the natural man, Abraham, laughed at God, as Sarah did also later on. She denied it, but God said, no, you laughed. And mocked God. And we see further the natural man in verse 18, where Abraham is saying, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. So the natural man in Abraham has not received this promise of God. He found it to be the laughing foolishness. And now, instead, he turns to Ishmael, and he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God's promise to have a son with his wife, Sarah, Abraham now turns to the sinking ship, the SS Ishmael. <laughs> and he sees that ship going down, because now all the emphasis is on the sun, and he tries to promote his sinking ship. Ishmael, the son of his flesh. Ishmael, Abraham, and Sarah's natural solution to have a son. And notice in verse 16 how God made this promise to Abraham about Sarah, I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. So with God's promise of a son in mind, now you look at verse 16, 2, and says, And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, going into my maid, this is the chapter before, maybe I may obtain children by her. So Sarah made a promise to Abraham. See, God made a promise to Abraham. Sarah made a promise to Abraham uh, that he would have a son. And so now Abraham hears God say in Genesis 17, 16, I will give thee, Natan, a son of her. So Abraham, now he's got two promises in his ears. He's got the promise of Sarah, going on to my maid, and maybe I'll obtain children by her. He got the promise of God. I will give thee a son of her. Promise of Sarah, Abraham heard it, the natural man. Abraham responded to it, and that's where Ishmael came from. But Abraham is just not ready to abandon ishmael so he says oh that ishmael might live before thee oh that my way might be god's way he's saying there and so often we do what abraham does we do something that god never led us to do and we might even say god told me to do this you know and then god in heaven says i did i don't remember that and then when it becomes obvious that god didn't tell and god didn't lead then we like abraham we want god to change his ways his plans and bless our way after we made a mess of it, we try to promote our sinking ship with the oh that Ishmael might live before thee. And can't you just imagine this? This is a very sad picture, verse 18. Very sad picture, Abraham pleading to God for his sinking ship. And Abraham to go on there because he didn't wait on God. So that's a big lesson for us. We shouldn't go through this. But there's another side to this heart-wrenching prayer of Abraham for Ishmael. Abraham, see what Abraham is really asking for Ishmael? When he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before the Abraham is anxious for his son, Ishmael. It is his son. After all, he's anxious because he's afraid that Ishmael is going to be left out of having everlasting life. He's going to be left out of having eternal life. So Abraham does what any father would do for his son to have a life with God. He's pleading with God. And Abraham's prayer of, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, is born out of this sincere desire for Ishmael to have eternal life. So when Abraham is praying, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, it's the prayer of a heart that's broken. That's the same prayer that Paul had in Romans 10.1 for the Jewish people when he said, brethren, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. That's Paul's anxiety for the Jewish people. That's Paul praying the same thing for the Jewish people that Abraham prayed for his son. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And Abraham knew exactly what he was asking because he used those two words at the end, before thee. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. See, when Abraham prayed, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, Abraham was saying that there is no eternal life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. And Abraham, when he prayed that Ishmael might live before thee, Abraham was saying that no one can have eternal life except by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. When Abraham prays that Ishmael might live before thee, Abraham is saying that. And that's what he said. The Lord Jesus said in John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. And so when we look down to verse 25, we read that Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. So that means that when Abraham was praying this prayer for Ishmael, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, Abraham had watched his son for 13 years. And those 13 years, Abraham watched Ishmael and Abraham became increasingly concerned about the spiritual condition of his son Ishmael. And during those 13 years, Abraham's afraid. Ishmael's not going God's way. Ishmael's going the way of the world, away from God. And he's got good reason to fear for Ishmael, because what we're going to find out later on in Genesis 21:9, where it reads, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, that's Ishmael, which she bore unto Abraham, mocking so when they were making a party for God's promised son, he was out there mocking, mocking the promises of God. In that verse, Ishmael is not called the son of Abraham. He's called the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. He's acting like an Egyptian. And there, Ishmael is not rejoicing. And so we can see in Abraham's house has some real problems because of Ishmael.
0: Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. If you'd like to support this Bible Teaching Radio program, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org and donate online. Or you can call us directly at 800 247 3051. That's 800 247 3051. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 711 330. That's P.O. Box 711 330. Santee. That's S A N T E E. Santee, California 92071. Again, that's P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Now, we have a resource of the month. It's The Life of Joseph, and it shows the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the life of Joseph and the parallel of the life of the Jewish people. It's a 70-page book by Tom Cantor. It's our resource to you for a donation of $20 or more. It's one of his most popular books. We'd like to get this into your hands. You can order it online at friendshipwithgod.org. Just go to our resources section, click on Tom Cantor's materials, So again, go to friendshipwithgod.org and order The Life of Joseph by Tom Cantor. It's a wonderful book, and it's our resource for $20 or more for your donation and support to the Friendship with God radio program. Or you can call us directly now and get The Life of Joseph for a donation of $20 or more, 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or again, friendshipwithgod.org or 800-247-3051.